This is how I win. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. I'm the king of the world! If you don't have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! Welcome back to the Sin Arrivals podcast, folks. I know I'm sorry. We have lives and we do not get together nearly as much as we used to, but we are back. And boy, do we have just a plethora of movies to speak on uh, between the two of us. We have a bunch of movies we saw. I think I, I my number was 10 movies we've seen, the both of us. And then we have a handful of movies, both of us, that we saw individually that we're going to run through as quickly as possible and just tell you whether or not you should or should not see them. But like I said, we got limited time and a lot of movies to talk about. So first things first, Hunger Games, Songbirds, and uh, something or other. I don't even remember. It was so long ago we watched this movie. It's Songbirds and Snakes because there is that big old uh, cylinder of snakes. Dude, this movie was not great. We are really going to just rapid fire all of our thoughts on all these movies, but I never even seen the final Hunger Games movies. Like, I didn't think I needed to for this prequel because I know about the character of Snow. But my biggest gripe by the end of the movie is it's a it's like a three-part movie where the third part is genuinely the least interesting part of the entire movie. You should never want your conclusion to be the worst part of your movie. And it fails at task numero uno, which was to set up this character of like snow and why he decides he wants to like start the hunger games. And it turns out he wanted to be the king of the hunger games because some woman that he fell in love with ditched him in the woods once. And then that's the movie. There you go. I mean, what, I, what do you got? We haven't really gotten together for so long. Cause we've had a lot of collections of very mid films to say the least. Um, and uh, Hunger Games, like, we were discussing this uh, a little earlier in the season, or I guess the holiday season, but mm-hmm. when Hunger Games was getting closer, they kind of scratched the ballad of sound, uh, songbirds and snakes tagline and just kept it with Hunger Games so we can sell more tickets, which was, you know, a fair strategy, to say the least. Um, you, you got Francis Lawrence returning to direct, and I j- just think that... Oh, I am kind of over seeing Rachel Zegler on screen. Um, and Which is crazy. She's been in three movies. Three. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of and very... And we're already sick of her. Yeah. They've just, and and was, like... She kept singing in this movie, and it's like, we don't want it. Like, we get it. Okay, we get it. And then it next felt like she's a Disney be, Channel I, original movie. And it's just going to be... I've been saying that. Yeah, I think the only thing I liked out of this outside of, like, you know, Peter Dinklage showing up and Viola. Viola Davis is in the wrong movie, but it's nice to see her give a, give a shot in this. I just, I, I just, I mean, I liked uh, Tom Blythe that they got to play. Yes. Blythe, yes. That they got to play Snow. I thought, he, I, I'm very interested in what he does next. Yes. Um, But like, 
outside of all that, like I'm not interested in going back to the Capitol. The districts are doing fine. We I don't think we need to keep seeing anything. And in the last like 40 minutes was just like I don't know what heat check they were trying to do here, but it just it just felt very flat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Peter Dinklage, like you said, he seemingly was just in this movie to be an absolute douchebag to the Snow character, and that was primarily all he did. And then uh, I also really enjoyed Jason Schwartzman playing the, like, Stanley Tucci character, like, as a younger man, getting to be, like, that wild, like, lavish kind of a uh, kind of uh, flamboyant character that that guy is. So that was cool. But yeah, this movie just doesn't work at all as a whole. Like I said, it's cut up into three parts. And then the first two parts are genuinely kind of promising. And then the third part is just like an absolute side adventure that felt so detached detached from the like the whole film. The best parts of this movie is when we get to see the Hunger Games stuff. Like you said, they felt the need they had to advertise and change this title to have Hunger Games prominently at the front of the title so that people actually knew what it was. Like, I saw theaters were advertising it solely as Hunger Games 5 uh, on their marquees. So it was nuts. I don't even think anyone, like, yeah, dude, I remember the Hunger Games having its, like, lavish fan base, and you have your, like, book fans from the, like, YA, like, that you love their novels and whatnot. Who was asking for this movie in the end of the day? I don't think anyone was really like, why did we why did we need the prequel of the character that everyone fucking hated from those movies like that? It's another one of those instances like Cruella, where they're just trying to make the villain more relatable. And like, you don't want your villains in some senses to be relatable. This dude is a monster in those other Hunger Games movies. So let him be the monster. I don't know. I got nothing else on this one. I mean, it's just it comes down to the writer um insists like this is just you know she'll make another one and here we go it's it's they do this all the time with these young adult films where they'll make a fourth one that's set like way back in and um i think they did it with like uh, divergent they had that one called four or something like that and and that's a failed franchise to begin with and yeah uh, they just i don't know i mean like i don't know I got nothing for you. I was yeah. I it, the runtime the runtime doesn't help, dude. It's again three parts. It's like two and a half hours. Uh, like like we said up top, we saw it so long ago. It's hard to like remember specific moments, but it was just so unmemorable and just. I mean, the potential yeah. was there. People love this I mean, universe and this world. Yeah, pe- people do love it. I mean, I'm just not one to like. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence did her thing. Yep. All right. Now for me to get even more angry about something, because this is something I even cared about. Uh, So moving on to our next film, that would be the Disney animated feature wish Uh, the culmination of a hundred years of a studio's hard work and uh, genre defining efforts and industry revolutionary techniques, like all of these things put together ends up being what turns out to be one of the most by the books cookie cutter paint by numbers disney animated movie that i've seen in a very long time like i thought that strange world was like very standard this one is just as much of a standard princess kind of storytelling disney movie you could be and that's not what i wanted from wish when they announced that they were making this 
kind of conceptual wish movie that was going to come out in the 100th year anniversary of the Disney Corporation. It's like the 62nd or 3rd or 4th of their animated discography or whatever. And I wanted this movie to be about like the ethereal magical wishing star. And it kind of is, but I thought they were going to make this some kind of connective tissue, like fourth wall breaking movie that connects all of the Disney movies in the greater Disney world, like thematically into one universe based off of wishes. Like, and they kind of do that. That is one of the things that they try to tease. They like have your Peter Pans and your Mary Poppins references that like kind of attach these wishes that get made in those movies to this world, but they needed to lean into it and they didn't lean into it. And what we ended up with is like some kind of half-baked feeling attempt at just putting something out there into the world to make money. And that's like Disney has had its ups and downs and like we've seen the home on the ranges of the world. We've been through the wartime era where it was just a bunch of short films compiled into things. And this is definitely another one of the low points of the Disney studios era with the last couple of movies we've been getting have not been great. And you really hate to see that also being a part of this 100 year celebration and this giant culmination film that you thought that they were working on, which ends up just being so much smaller than it could have been and so much less impactful. It's kind of funny. I just I just had this thought as you're talking about that because of what they were trying to intend. Um, it feels like this was just one of those movies that was made with COVID brain and was made for the small screen, like made for Disney Plus, thinking that they could extend it to a wider audience by just releasing it in theaters because we, we haven't... Uh, Disney, like they always have that Thanksgiving animated movie release and they kill it. Unfortunately, it's usually Frozen, and it comes as no surprise that right after this, they're like Frozen three and four on its way. Um, it, it's it's a which reach. is the wrong direction for them to go. I re, I I was hoping that their what they saw with this would like spark something in them and bring it back, like like what happened with the Disney. I mean, when Little Mermaid came out, it sparked something in the Disney company. We need that spark again to then put us on another new Renaissance run of like amazing animated films. But we'll see. We uh, thought it, Frozen it was going to be that, and it's gone downhill it since Frozen. It won't be the last thing I say, but like, or last time I say this, but like, the music in this was just really not it. Pretty me. subpar. I liked the voice performances. Our obviously Ariana Debose can sing, and Chris Pine has been doing a lot of good voiceover work as of late, and he also brings like a solid performance, even though he's a terribly underwritten villain, and unfortunately, like one of the least threatening villains we've seen in a disney movie in recent years um but i there are things i like like i do i am a a sucker for the easter eggs that they put through there like the fact that all of her friends represent the different dwarves from uh snow white and the seven dwarves i like the peter pan references and the stuff throughout i really loved the little end credit stinger where it's the older father who is a hundred years old Basically, the representation of the Disney company wrote the song that inspired generations, and that was his wish. And that song ends up being When You Wish Upon a Star, which is the theme song behind the Disney Mm -hmm. company and has been for nearly 100 years. That is that one moment, that one end credit scene is basically what I wanted to be the entire film. And it just wasn't like I, I still think it's a good movie, but. 
a good movie is an incredibly disappointing product for what I wanted this to be, unfortunately. Uh, and all, but the star was really funny. I, I, that, that seems to be a, a highlight for a lot of people, and I, he was pretty entertaining. But then you had the goat sidekick that felt totally unnecessary, and it was just Alan Tudyk doing one-liners. But yeah, that's all I got from that one. Um, okay. But after, but after that, uh, we we moved into the – this is all basically the week of Thanksgiving we're pretty much talking about. And what also ended up releasing in the week of Thanksgiving is another film that, like Brent said up top, unfortunately a lot of these movies ended up a lot more mid and a lot more run-of-the-mill than we were hoping. We had a, a level – we had a high level of anticipation for a lot of these films. And another one of them was Ridley Scott's War Epic – and Apple TV project with Joaquin Phoenix, Napoleon. Um, man, oh man, what happened here, Brent? Uh, I think what happened here is the, in, in, in my terms, the anticipated four-hour cut on Apple TV just hasn't been released yet. <laughs> they got, I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't do it. I just don't know when they're planning on doing it. No, they, they're, I mean, it was always a Ridley Scott's, um, like, first, uh, from what I've heard, the impression he wants to have is be able to edit the film and, and have the length that it's on rights. Um, it's strange that this is what Joaquin Phoenix wanted to do. Um, I think this was, like, announced right after his Oscar win, too, was that, like, happened with Ridley Scott, which I get is a very... Um, Ridley Scott, to me, I, I feel that he is a famous obviously a, a very famous director, but doesn't get the recognition he deserves. I mean, he's been doing th this run of like cheap biopics to say the least for the last couple of years, where it's, it's the fashion of house of Gucci or it's the epic dual a uh, time period piece of the last duel. And he's still just pumping out movies and he's like 86 years old. And I mean, Napoleon has very good fight sequences and there's just some really good set pieces um, that come with the, I guess, layered acting of, of Joaquin Phoenix and then uh, on his own held by, you know, the small parts that Vanessa Kirby has. But, I mean, in terms of, like, yeah, I mean, Phoenix definitely chews on this film more than anyone. And I I, I mean, it's two and a half hours, um, which is crazy. But I, I would say I was getting bored in the end um, before the final fight. But knowing the final fight's happening, you're kind of like, okay, this is actually almost over. Really? So I might be, I might, I, yeah, I might enjoy this this action set piece. But I, I just, I mean, I'm, ex I'm always going to be excited to watch Joaquin Phoenix, and I, and I definitely enjoy seeing a film that really Scott does because he doesn't fake it. Everything that you're seeing is as real as it can get, and he takes the time to do that. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was a four hour movie that got cut down to two and a half hours. It feels mutilated. It is so choppy at some points that you're like cutting from these truly epic, larger than life battle sequences that are some of what I think. I mean, like, we're never going to know what it really looks like during the French Revolution. I think we got pretty close with this. And like you said, this 86 year old is out there in the like trenches creating these epics and these gigantic battle sequences. But in between those battle sequences, you get. An English-speaking Joaquin Phoenix, which, again, 
Dude does not tr- attempt an, a French accent at any point. No one does. In fact, everyone almost other than Joaquin Phoenix speaks with a British accent, which makes it really hard to figure out which people are the British soldiers and which people are the French soldiers, if you're going to ask me. But between all these epic fight sequences that we're getting, which were truly, uh, I was going to say truly cool to watch, um, it's like st- in between all that stuff is this like melodrama, romantic, almost days of our lives time of romance drama between Napoleon and his wife. And then you also get these moments of like just uncomfortable, really fast doggy style sex between them because there's the whole subplot is like he wants that his wife to bear him a son. And then he's also making these of uh, just like deranged noises like me, 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 me like trying to seduce his wife and if that it took me out of the movie like it took me away from those bigger better war scenes and i know the life of napoleon wasn't all war but like you had to like create a narrative that made the movie move better like i don't know what else to say about it because like you said i agree it by the end of the movie i was so bored with where the story like the story was going nowhere it was just like let's get to the next battle scene I like I'm I'm very done with this whatever and then that I mean that's where we ended up and I just think this could have been so much better like you had an incredible actor at the forefront of your film playing an incredibly interesting historical figure that not many of us actually know much of the truths about and a director that can handle the scale of a project of this nature and unfortunately it felt like like again this movie got mutilated and I don't know if I'll ever sit down to watch a four hour version of this movie now, but it's gotta be better. It's gotta be better. Like I can't imagine that like it doesn't fix all these connective issues of like, we're jumping around in time. We're at this battle. We're in this country. We're fighting this uh, fight. Like it was so all over the place. You couldn't follow the, and then the romance story was just not nearly it's, it was again, it was disappointing. I teed it up. These there were a lot of these movies that like we could have seen as top contenders of our like lists this year, and they're just like, wow, they fell off and like did not pan out as nearly as well as we thought they would. Uh, I mean, y- yes and no. I know that I have um like anticipation for uh films like these, but I understand like there won't be heavy hitters come award season. I, not not in awards sense. I'm I'm saying more in our own personal sense, like like yeah. where we're ranking them. Well, I I I know I was one of the few that actually enjoyed Hasegushi. From what you guys said, I remember first... liking it a lot. I remember my big gripe with that movie was uh, it was uh whenever the the movie shifts, like they go to a ski resort, and then the movie kind of shifts tone a little bit. I thought it kind of lost track and felt overlong, but. Same with this movie, kind of. I mean, I'm not upset by that. And yeah. Like other yeah. ones. Um, it happens. I mean, it's just, it's when you say Joaquin Phoenix is Napoleon, it's, it is a good selling point, and it definitely got our, it piqued our interest very, very much enough. They they did pretty good. There are some good scenes that in, indicate, like, the height is There's some great short. scenes. He's not the shortest. There are some real powerful scenes. And I also, also, I know that a lot of people have issue with the historical inaccuracies. I couldn't care less. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. When it comes to biopics, if there are historical inaccuracies, I like figuring out what's the difference and then also getting to learn more about the true events from doing that. So I don't mind that one bit. But again, big Thanksgiving week, big Thanksgiving releases, and we continue our watch of what came out that week with the horror slasher film Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, I was really, I had, I didn't, until the day of when we watched this, I don't think I had any intention of watching this. I thought it was going to be pretty lackluster and like another one of those just ridiculous holiday horrors where they're trying to introduce a brand new slasher icon. Tell me why Eli Roth actually kind of killed this and it's not perfect by any means, but I thought this was an above average and pretty damn entertaining slasher film. Like I, I remember uh, when this came out, we we all talked about and learned that like this is one of the this was actually based on a fake trailer that plays in the Death Proof double feature, or uh, sorry, the Grindhouse double feature with Death Proof and Planet Terror, and it was directed by Eli Roth then, and now Eli Roth finally all these years later gets to like go out and make this a reality, and I think again I think he did like above all else he created a pretty interesting and newly unique slasher character in like the pilgrim with the murder mask and i thought that was really good plus it was I a mean, solid mystery it well yeah i mean it, it is a good slasher and i guess we're at that point where we have we have to have one for every holiday now um so we have john carver on thanksgiving um the only thing like i had a good time with it some of the kills were pretty neat uh i think the only thing that was just really like sour or distasteful I guess in the regards as the beginning with the Black Friday shit that doesn't exist I, I just I feel like that is oh yeah famous, a fantasy that is created for this I understand that people have in the past been chaotic trying to run through the doors but there like been, there definitely have been injuries not to the extent of this movie the stamp, yeah, they the definitely go. yeah yeah it, I just I'm just I'm kind of like to have that in the beginning. Like I get, I get the set point for that, and it obviously creates the revenge tale that we're on. And um, if you're paying attention, you can pick up on those clues. And it, it's, I mean, it got announced real quick that they're making a sequel, and Eli Roth is excited about that. Um, and to keep the tradition going, even though they said no leftovers, we're gonna have another a second plate. So, I. I enjoyed wow. Patrick Dempsey in this amongst um the oh, absolute horrendous and probably the worst acting of a teenage group. Oh my uh, god, that Evan kid needed to die so bad. Like they were the they were so stereotypical teenager that they felt like literal cartoons that I <laughs> I could not stand. Just, they, they they felt like AI robots. Yeah. I just I don't know like the adult the adult actors were, were were neat to say the least but I just I kept getting out of it when I would hear any of those teenagers talk. Yeah, they definitely And especially the the lady to go back and forth with the whole boyfriend stuff that was just fucking weird. Yeah. And were... and like half of them were actors from Disney Channel movies which is pretty funny. Yeah. No, I mean that that would have to be my biggest gripe was that young troop of like teenage actors that played the friend group were just almost unbearably bad sometimes. And I'm just like, come on, can we start killing these motherfuckers? But yeah, I mean, it was super creative, pretty memorable. Uh, there, there, like you said, there were a lot of gory 
kills and insane moments that like actually got us. It had me guessing who the killer was pretty much up until the reveal. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, yeah, there's not much else to say about this one. I'm, it's really great to see the bear Jew get to uh, go back to the horror realm. I mean, this dude made hostile and that is one of the most like unsettling fuck me type of movies that I've ever seen. And like, this is definitely touching more on that whole uh, portion of his brain and not the portion of his brain that created or that made the house with the clocks in the wall. So I hope he continues doing that and stays more in the rated R uh, space of it all. But speaking of movies that are more skewed towards children, look at that segue after that cough. No, this is a really surprising movie. Um, I don't remember hearing about this up until it like right before it came out. But, you know, if you've seen like this weird iguana movie as you're scrolling through Netflix called Leo, and apparently it's an Adam Sandler, Happy Madison film. God damn it. Apparently it's worth a watch because I thought this was a pretty entertaining, super lighthearted, great message animated film from Adam Sandler. I mean, this is no eight crazy nights. This is him definitely trying to make a kid's movie. And then besides Hotel Transylvania, which isn't a happy Madison property, I feel like this is his first time ever really working more towards the kids. And like, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty damn good message. You actually get a handful of messages just because of the like plot nature of this film. And like all these different kids are dealing with these different issues that all are relatable issues for various young kids growing up and in middle school and whatnot in this like formative age that they are. And again, this is fucking, this is, this is Jack and Jill, Adam Sandler playing an old man iguana. And it all, it just somehow works. Uh, What doesn't work, I would say is a lot of the musical numbers Definitely not one of the best musicals I've ever seen in the entire world. But I was pretty impressed with how much I could get on board with, like, the fact that Adam Sandler was trying to help out the children with this one. Uh, I, I mean, he hasn't done an animation since Eight Crazy Nights, right? Like, is there... Well, again, other than Hotel Transylvania, but that's not, like, a oh. Happy Madison. That's oh. not him doing it. That's uh, That was Sony. Yeah. That That's a good one. Um, What's really... I mean, I was obviously watching this um, with my niece, but there. What's really funny is that Netflix reported that this film debuted with 34 million views, which is uh, equivalent to 500 million dollars in the box office. So once again, Netflix, um, the king of unlikely, uh, you know, the numbers that they pull is is right. is. Um, I mean, yeah, it uh, harm, harmless movie. Who who was it that plays the other dude in this movie? Um, oh, it's Bill Burr, the turtle. Bill Burr, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 harmless, I guess. It can't hurt you. Um, and I knew I was gonna get to it eventually, I guess, but I don't have any like memorable takes on it. I mean, no, um, I can't I've seen even... far worse animated films this year. I can't even really remember any jokes. I know, um. George, uh, Ale- I mean, I Jason Alexander the, plays like one of the dads, and I know the feeling it, of taking home a school pet, and so like it brings that oh, yeah. that feeling back. Or, yeah, yeah very classroom true. pet. Very- yeah. Um, we never. I the school I went public school Parkway Central baby, uh, Highcroft all that stuff. We never had like a take home class pet type situation, but definitely know about it from media. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, great voice actors, like I was saying, J- Jason Alexander plays a dad, and the old lady teacher is Cecily Strong, and she does a really good job with what they give that character and, like, what they make of that character. Um, I just had I had a, d- a very good time with this movie, and it was surprisingly better than I thought from something of Happy Madison ilk. So that's a good... Um, and then I guess going from there, we'll go directly into another streaming film. This one uh, it was another absolutely pr- pleasant surprise and also comes from a my, um, an SNL alumni mind. Uh, I guess three minds if you, if you want to be more specific. But I'm stalling for time because I lost track of my notes. Okay. All right. So, don't uh please don't destroy The Treasure of Foggy Mountain. I wanted to make sure I said the whole title. Uh is a Peacock release from the guys of the Please Don't Destroy comedy troupe who are essentially the new digital media team for SNL. You had your Lonely Islands doing all the SNL digital shorts and then after they all kind of moved on, you moved into what was these YouTubers like Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett from Good Neighbor who were doing the more scripted, uh, not live shot SNL um, videos and stuff that are all of this digital sword nature. Now we are on our third ver- iteration of this like kind of addition to the show. And it's these guys from Please Don't Destroy. Uh, I want to get their names right. Uh, it's Martin Hurley. John Higgins, who, fun fact, John Higgins is the son of Higgins from the Jimmy Fallon show. His, like, sidekick guy with the glasses is the little, like, the little brown-haired dude's father. Who knew? He was also a, he was also a head writer on SNL for a while. Uh, sorry. And then the last one is Ben Marshall. And these three guys, I've, honestly, I've laughed harder at some of their sketches on SNL than I have at like most of SNL as of recently because of how bad it's been. I specifically think the cat sketch with Zoe Kravitz is fucking hysterical and so fast-paced and zany and funny. These guys are real experts at utilizing editing as their like form of comedy. It's like a very quick-paced, fast editing. And I thought that that was going to be lost in a feature film, and it wasn't. This movie was just as funny. It had their exact same tone. You have incredible comedic special like guest stars like Conan O'Brien playing Ben's dad. It just all really worked. And it reminded me of like when the Lonely Island guys got to go off and make Hot Rod or a pop star never stop, never stopping. Or like when Good Neighbor went and made Brigsby Bear. Like these guys are comedic minds that have like a true talent for these making these films and it's like they they made all these short form sketch videos and they just elongated it and it's not the best paced movie there are some jokes that don't land it is it is just pretty goofy and zany and ridiculous at times but i laughed a lot and that's what the goal of a comedy is so i really enjoyed it i mean yeah i I wasn't trying to be like a like a sourpuss when i was watching this i i found it funny um and I guess, like, these guys for a while were the best thing on Saturday Night Live. So they kind of they, they have that going for themselves. Um, 
it's i mean like it's just another one of those harmless harmless films i guess um but yeah these guys they have some of the best skits and seeing it in a full-length film is just kind of like what they did back in the day with saturday night live and a bunch of um actors um chevy chase steve martin uh, mike myers like this stuff just happens to say the least um so we're for one thing isn't what it well, once was uh but this one i mean it's i i laughed so uh, i guess it worked i mean yeah there there was this joke about being hotter than johnny knoxville that i laughed really hard at i thought one of the funniest oh, I can't the yeah dude i i i thought well i i take notes that's why <laughs> uh i thought there was an insanely funny bit with the fact that the narrator was john goodman and he was like, he literally says something Wait, to the I'm effect the of, hi, I'm the guy from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> so I, I thought that was amazing. But like I said, it, it is one of those straight to streaming. It went straight to Peacock. But I would give it a watch, man, especially if you like any of the Lonely Island movies. If you're a fan of like something like Hot Rod, you definitely should give this a watch as well. It is very funny. Uh, all right. I feel like I need to take a deep breath. We truly are speed running through this stuff. We're making good time. All right, moving in, the, moving away from there. Again, we like this. We're just moving and shaking and getting through all of these as we go. But this one might take a little bit more time because of how truly fantastic it was. And it is a film from the land of Japan, from the land of the rising sun. I'm pretty sure is what its nickname is. Uh, Godzilla minus one. If you know me, you know I love Power Rangers and big rubber suit monster fighting movies. And so I've loved all the Godzilla movies for a long time. I even love the MonsterVerse that they're currently making at New Line. Love those movies. But Godzilla Minus One is a Godzilla movie on another level. They have taken what everyone loves about the Godzilla franchise with the monster and the destruction and the carnage and the effects and the giant lizard with fire breath but then also giving it a deeply connective story about this man who is stricken with guilt from being basically a deserter from world war ii uh a, a kamikaze pilot who didn't end up killing himself and bailed out uh saying that he like had a malfunction or whatever but also at the same time is dealing with a fucking 700 foot lizard man uh, destroying the city that he lives in basically. And there's also this sub story about found family and like this woman and this child who are also orphaned by Godzilla and the war and like the connections between world war two and Godzilla that they're making in this movie are so ever present and they're so thorough and well thought out this uh, it's, a lot of people, especially in the 2014 Godzilla movie, will like to say that like the worst part of the movie is the fact that we barely get any Godzilla. Well, that is not the case in this. You get Godzilla throughout the entirety of the movie. He keeps just popping back up, and every time he shows up, he is giving you like iconic, like franchise-defining moments, like the atomic blast he fires on Kyoto or Tokyo or wherever they are maybe the best version of his atomic breath I've ever seen. It was like truly like a nuclear bomb going off and the level of destruction and carnage that it creates was truly 
like jaw dropping in the moment. I I love this movie. I mean, it's in contention for some of the best visual effects we've seen. Um, I'm I ge- not to show my cards. I'm genuinely thinking about adding it for visual effects and my awards thing. Since right now I have like Napoleon. It, no, yeah. I mean, it, and there's there's just overall like like it, it had good vibes. I think I think the only thing that I wasn't a true fan of was the the amount of human depth that we had to um, be a part. It part was of, like, pretty melodramatic. I will give you that. I, yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> but I, mean, I guess I get. It. I guess I get it. Um, it's. I mean, I I had a thrill watching it. I mean, I know some. The like the first half, I can't remember what it was uh, compared to, but it's like the middle is Jaws, the third act is Dunkirk, and it's, and it it's just a collaboration of of a bunch of well put together scenes and set pieces, and big guys. Godzilla just looks pretty damn cool. Um, so like it, um. It's a, a breath of fresh air to have a monster look like this with good taste and good nature to it, um, especially coming from like uh, Japan, where like this is their cultural icon, is at least like this is their Batman, um, and it's it's nice to nice to see, nice to have, um, just really cool. I know uh, the director said I saw this going through Twitter, like he. Like there's a film that he wants to work on. Might have been a sequel. I don't know. Like he he wants to be able to do something w- since he's getting like the the praise and success from this. So it was definitely a good watch uh, on the biggest screen possible. It was really nice. Um, I and it, dude, and, I'm so glad we swapped theaters too right before the yeah. like one moment of his like big roar and then the explosion because the sound literally it felt like my hair was blowing back. Hmm. Uh, this this was nice to have because we haven't even really talked about it, but the TV show Monarch has been such a dud. Well, um, I haven't started it yet. You say it's a dud, but it's it's about Monarch. People, I know, but exactly, about and pe- people but people are liking Monarch. it. It is there. It is boring. We finally, <laughs> after six episodes, got to see Godzilla, so that's great. Whoa! It has that go- spo- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course, you're going to see Godzilla. I mean, it's it's. It's fun seeing Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, but right. I mean, it's it's just in terms of this figure, it's nice to have something that's good, I guess. And a lot of people are responding to it positively. Yeah, I mean, Godzilla has been around for seventy years now. <laughs> like the fact that we can yeah. still get movies of this level that are being received as well as it is, like that are essentially just the same cookie cutter. They use the same score as the original film which I thought was so perfectly implemented. Like you, a lot of the time that can be distracted, but like it kind of gave me goosebumps when I heard the original theme song. So I was, I was a big fan of this one. Big, big fan. Uh, Another one I was a huge fan of this one. I wish we got to see together. Uh, It almost got me kicked out of the Alamo draft house here, folks, because there was a moment that made me nearly die laughing because I thought it was so funny. And that movie or the moment is in a movie called Dream Scenario with Nicolas Cage, which I'm genuinely frustrated that this isn't going to be in the awards conversation. It is a weird movie, so I can understand why it's not an awards conversation, but I fucking, I think this one's going to, I'm going to end up talking about this movie again, basically, when we go over our top 10. I found this movie to be super well-made, uh, hilarious at multiple moments. It's one of Nick Cage's 
most subtle performances, but you still have his larger than life moments. Like the, like you get, you get a bees level moment in this movie where someone spray paints his car and he's just fucking screaming at kids. He goes full cage. You love to see him at full cage, but also at, he, you get him see to see him play against type where he's playing this like meek professor guy. That's pretty unassuming and pretty scared, but he's purposefully unassuming because he's also info like for some reason this weird event is happening where people are seeing him in his dreams and the more that people that know about him the more people that can see him in his dreams and he eventually starts turning violent in those dreams and this movie ends up being a excellent cancel culture like narrative without being incredibly preachy about being canceled. This man legitimately gets canceled for not for nothing that he did. He did nothing. It is all just legitimately people perceiving stuff in their own mind. And therefore this dude life's gets thrown into the blender and brought to a, a standstill because of what people think that he did. And again, he did nothing. And it's, it, the the way that it's like asking these questions about counterculture, it just blew my mind. But then you're also at the same time you're blowing my mind. You're making me crack up laughing at this dude coming and farting at, like in sequence. He, I could not, Oh my God. I couldn't believe the moment in the moment. I'm like, this isn't about to happen. And then it happened and I could not stop laughing. Oh my God. I mean, though, yeah, the movie, the movie is a big amusement. Uh, and it definitely it's one of the most takes, entertaining. You know, uh, the the way they they tell the story, I thought was pretty pretty neat. I mean, from the first moment I was hearing about it in the in the you know being created in the lab, I was like, this has potential. And then you get uh, Nicholas Cage as the lead, and you're like, okay, I, I appreciate that. And so I was very excited watching this. And it is it's like a dry humor, like it's it's not like mm-hmm. hitting comedic notes the whole time, Except but like when it does hit. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. Um, I I enjoy Nicholas Cage. Obviously, we we all know he's a national treasure. Wink. Mm-hmm. I I I respected like the approach and like how it it told its its cancel culture and you know how people can become an overnight sensation and become a, a phenomenon mm-hmm. that is beyond their control. And then when they try to get it in their hands, it they fail and, it be, and yeah, and it is and gone it's, just it's as quick as you got it. Yeah, and, and it's. It's it, it gets pretty sad, especially because it you know it affects his personal life, and that's just the, the way the society works. And you know we're all fucked in the head, and when we don't have something, we try to take away from others. And I think that's a pretty good representation of this. And and it's re- like his uh, the dean played by uh, uh, Tim Meadows, like he it kind of sucks the position he's in because like you, you like I'm sitting there like. Like he didn't do anything. Like these people have to realize this is a fucking dream. It, like, it's the perfect he, and, example. And it, it turns of, into nightmares. And yeah, it's the perfect example. No, he Sorry. lost. He lost his own narrative to his own story, and it just sucks. Like having to see that crumble, that person crumble. And I don't have any like real life off the bat of my head examples, but you know very well that this is just a good representation of like what cancer culture can do to a guy and a family. And I think they incorporated pretty well in the end when like you know even the title of his book is not what he wanted it mm-hmm. and it kind of just goes to show you that people can take over someone's lives too when it's hit into the mainstream and 
it, it's Nicholas Cage was a great job. Uh, one of my favorite performances of the year for sure. Oh and, yeah, and I liked uh, mostly everything from it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the perfect example of the mindset of society currently, and that is unfortunately guilty until proven innocent, instead of the other way around, which it should be. Like people are seeing these things happen in their dreams. This guy is clearly going to do that in real life, even though that's not the kind they set up so well that that's not the kind of guy that this character is and that he wouldn't actually do these things that people are seeing in these dreams. And that's why you are like perpetually on his side throughout this movie, because, you know, like he wouldn't do this stuff, but people think he would. And then he's getting canceled for it. So, like, again, guilty until proven innocent. This cancel culture narrative, this this the whole stuff about fleeting fame in the sense all of this put together inside this narrative with an a again, an over the top zany Nick Cage level performance. One of those ones you see from his bad movies inside of a movie with a fantastic narrative. It is the best of both worlds when it comes to a Nicolas Cage performance. And I couldn't. I, I really I think I'm gonna end up moving this movie up on my top ten like right now. I I can't recommend seeing this movie enough. It's truly one of the better conceptual movies I've seen in the recent months. But moving into yet another movie that this one I am far more surprised that I was so susceptible to. Well. Maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised as I am because, again, if you know me, I am a sucker for the musician biopics. And, you know, this might be one of the most talented musical aficionados there ever has been. Uh, or this might be a biopic about one of the most successful and talented music aficionados of all time. And that's Maestro, directed and starring Bradley Cooper about the life and mostly the relationship between him and his wife of Leonard Bernstein, uh, composer, conductor, musician, all of the above. He he basically encapsulated everything and all things you could be in the musical world. And his talent, uh, again, isn't even like the the subject of the film. This film is about his relationship with his wife and his loving wife and his and basically, it's more about his wife's having to come to terms with his level of talent and fame and also his homosexuality and just feeling not in, not in some um, inferior to this person who she also loves and idolizes. And that complicated feeling inside. And that was all brought through with Carrie Mulligan's fantastic performance man we've been getting a lot of carrie mulligan as of late in these movies like that are awards caliber but this is maybe the best of the performances yet in my opinion like i think she should take home the statue for this one i mean there there is a crying scene that is just well and above some of the best acting i've ever seen you, I mean, you could say that about all of her nominated performances. Like she That's just, also she true. Really Recency bias. She just, I mean, yeah, I mean, married to the lead singer of Mumford & Sons. Um, That's remarkable. A, so weird. <laughs> we'll never get used to that. Um, I, 
yeah so like like what you said um my first take on my show is just like it, 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 so it was finally released yesterday on netflix and it seems like film twitter is just having such a, a wedgie about this movie like they're so in their feelings that like like the risk the the miss how dare bradley cooper like, be that good looking and that talented as an actor and a director fuck that guy that's what they're all about it, <laughs> people are just like so hurt by someone that they're never even going to see again because like you only have to watch this movie once if if you don't like it like i don't know why we have to get so offended by something like that and then you you, you have your your people that are um that like love cooper and like you they have to understand like cooper is beloved in hollywood he is especially his rise in directing i mean the 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 big trivia bit from this is that Bradley Cooper came to set one day when they were doing a Stars Born. Watched him direct a scene. Comes up to him and is like, "You're directing my show." Over Scorsese and Spielberg, the the producers attached to this film, they chose Bradley Cooper mm. to direct this, and it launched him into this world of like learning how to compose a scene for six years that is more critical than anything a guy building a fucking bomb can do. Dude, plain it's and one of the most powerful moments in film of maybe the decade. And, it's and it's true and it's just and it's just him conducting a beautiful piece of mm -hmm. music inside of a cathedral. But the emotion well, he's the emotion he's presenting through his physicality in that moment is him transforming into the character of Leonard Bernstein because that is how he felt like the music through his body. I mean that's the, you can you can bash that scene all you want, but like performance that wise, is, cinematography wise, directing wise, editing wise, like that, camera that people, work wise, people do that for a career, yeah. and and what he was able to achieve there. I mean he we we've we've gone back and forth with this before. Like he when he was doing a Star Is Born, he got a dialect coach to kind of get that country singing voice into his repertoire. Sound and like and, Sam Elliott and. It's it's hysterical that we're back in this road again where Bradley Cooper can win an Oscar and it very well Should. comes down to the fact that he put in the work to get this performance made. And whether you like his portrayal or not, that's beyond the point. But like he in terms of what has happened so far this year in, in actors in, in the leading role, like he does far more uh, than half of them do. Like he has multiple scenes that people are talking about. He wore the the makeup, the old looking accuracy to be pounds of makeup directing these scenes, like directing his actors, telling the camera guys what to do, being the guy navigating this film, and, but also in the scene. I am always blown away by director star, especially when it ends up in a piece of film that is as impressive as this because of how much is on your plate and he's doing it all under this fucking makeup too with a weird nose and a, and a funny accent it's crazy yeah. and this is the fucking douchebag from wedding crashers that we're talking about like who would if you you never would have predicted that the dude from the hangover would end up being like well, this big of an auteur that just goes through, like bradley cooper's a bro like he he can yeah. do the hangover. He can he can start in the hangover. He can produce the Joker. He's and, a Philly scumbag. Yeah. Always yeah. will and be. He he can have such a you know a note on that, but he's still when it comes to filmmaking and acting in that, like he he's sensational. And mm -hmm. I just I want and I made I saw this joke, but like I, I want him to win the Oscar because just so we can get it. 
if he doesn't, we should all fear for what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um. But like, I, I just in terms of, but like, if he does, we get Hangover Four. Yeah, I mean, I think the film it. Uh, I if if you know me, you know I I love uh, composers. Uh, movie scores are like always going to be in my Spotify top three. Um, so at the end of the day, like being able to like sit there and watch this and and get to see this in theaters was really neat. Yeah, um, in its own right, and like Even this is <laughs> yeah, this this is two actors just being showing that they're titans in their industry. Like uh, Carrie Mulligan is is precious and deservingly of all the accolades that she gets either in this film or future films uh and and like what we said with bradley cooper he's sensational and and you can be turned off by the nose prosthetics but like do you whine when you stub your toe i, I didn't think so i i find that if there are people that just didn't care for this film then we're going into a subject matter that you just really don't know anything about and the film doesn't do an incredible job at telling you who leonard bernstein is which is fine um we got to see like moments stagger across and and in terms of a sh actor showcase directing that at the same time i i'm not bothered by that and i was very much anticipating this film um well into the award season and, and i i'm not opposed to any of this and i know there's a conversation that like oh tar ruined the film and i'm like tar is telling an entirely different story plain and simple I, and, my art my thing was like this is what i wanted tar to be in the sense that i just wanted more of the musicality from what a movie about a a, a classical music conductor could be and i just really enjoyed uh, the music and like the way all of leonard bernstein's music is imp implemented into the film like at one point you do hear his iconic score from west side story and and whatnot they even found a way to sneak in the rem song it's the end of the world as they know it in the iconic leonard bernstein lyric when they're like driving up to the house or whatever in their car which i thought was a really fun little addition but i think i'm gonna wrap up my thoughts with i'm gonna just read what i wrote in my review i don't usually do this but i like what i said uh so my opening was like a massive orchestral symphony Maestro is a film that constantly shifting in tones, fluidly switching from energetic and cacophonous and dynamic to quiet, measured, and meticulous. Maestro is a magnificent work from Bradley Cooper in front and behind the camera that really digs into the soul of Leonard Bernstein, but, most, but for the most part, his deep love for his wife in a way that's sometimes breathtaking to witness. And I mean... Not to toot my own horn, but I agree with myself very much so. <laughs> you you read that to me because you know I haven't read it. Uh yeah, I know you haven't read the whole thing, but I wanted you to hear the first part at least. So, do you know uh, which is really interesting here is right at the start of this film being made? Um, did you know that Jake Gyllenhaal was also trying to make a biopic about Leonard Bernstein? Re wow. Yep, there was a there was a big studio battle, and um, in terms of just like getting the rights of his life and like certain periods and whatnot, um, but it just it it didn't get uh, off the ground after a while. I'm trying to see which director was sticking with it that kind of like helped that, but um, I I liked the final product we got. I won't, I'm definitely not going to lie about that one, but there, just knowing that that possibility was out there was pretty interesting. Um, I, I just, I mean, I do plan to watch this again, and I just, I don't know why people have to be so. 
yeah i i it, it it's i mean bradley cooper is i mean he's he's one of the best we have in the game right now and i i mean if you're if you're bothered by it so much then don't watch this shit i'm yeah i mean i'm seeing a lot of varying letterbox reviews right now i'm seeing some two and a half stars some two stars but like a lot of four and four and a half stars i watched dan merle's review he was blown away by it uh so that's a great seal of approval when you talk to me yeah i i will be definitely recommending this one i already told my mom that her and my grandpa should definitely watch this i think they would think it's amazing we haven't even talked about how fucking mesmerizing some of the transitional work and just like the camera work and direction is like just scenes of running through a hallway and the way they're using the camera and then it transitions into another moment in time is Again, I said it in my review, breathtaking. It's such a good, well-made project. And I don't know if Bradley Cooper maybe had help from other bigger directors. And maybe he's just working with an excellent DP and cinematographer that are really helping put their hands like all over this film. But I think at the end of the day, he's picking the right people. He's putting the right team together. And he's going to go down as like maybe a more iconic director than he will have ever been as an actor. What's going to give it a few years, man. Like, I don't know. What's fairly interesting too, though, is like, if this ends up winning, uh, giving him the win for best actor, um, people will just be like, so upset and bothered by it. But like, do you guys remember the conversations you were having last year with the whale? Yeah, I still, man, I still think if I had my way, he would get director, Paul Giamatti would get actor and Carrie Mulligan again would get actress. And then somehow, and then, and then the holdovers would win with directly. FAL bias. It has nothing to do with FAL. Nothing, bias. no, but but also they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't have Carrie Mulligan. You have Cooper and Durant. Ah, shut up. <laughs> I I saw on film Twitter today where people were just like, "It ain't gonna get a picture nomination." It's like shut the fuck There's up. No, like, I think it's gonna get a picture nomination. If the star, if the star is born, you get a picture nomination. It's not going to get ten, like 10 nominations, but it's going it to do, get... I do hate that it's Netflix, man. That is going to hurt it in the long run. It's, like it's it's be, uh, and like obviously times are changing, but I still don't like the Netflix name when it comes to award season. Wait, wait till you see May, December. Oh, I, oh, that is one I do need to watch. That'll be on your list. Uh, all right. Only a few more to go. We're making, we're still making good time. We got to wrap these last couple ones up. Um... All right. Well, I gotta be, I gotta be really quick with this one. Fuck, fuck Wonka. They picked the wrong guy. End of story. All right. I just, I mean, people seem to enjoy this movie, but I I think they're enjoying Paul Keene more than they're enjoying. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't pick the wrong director. They picked the wrong actor. Timothy Chalamet does not have the charisma for this role. He's also not a very good singer at all. They, they missed the whole point of Willy Wonka in the like sense of like the, the terror and tra- and traumatic children experience that you get from the first one and the one by Tim Burton. Yeah. It just, it feels like a disservice to the character because the character is just this happy go lucky scientist, creator, chocolate maker. And there's never once where you don't like trust him there. There has to be this air of pr- unpredictability when it comes to the character of Willy Wonka. I've said this a thousand times and at no point do I see Timothy Chalamet's character ever even becoming the weird reclusive candy maker that we know and love from the book and the movies and all the other stuff. So 
this movie is dumb. Hugh Grant didn't even want to be in it. He hated every minute of it. Like, why would it? Why would we want to see a movie that the actor didn't even want to be a part of? I, I the music's not even good. Like, it's so bad, none, unmemorable. None it's a terrible it's version of pure imagination. <laughs> like, and and we almost got through the whole thing without even needing that. Um, uh-huh. I, I mean, sure, the costumes great, the set designs are you know eye gazing, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Timothy Chalamet, it, it, he he seems to be off a bit in in the scene. It's just it's not my forte. They... He was a theater kid, so it makes sense why he wanted to do this. I mean. He's been kind of itching at a project, I guess, in this nature when for Gene, a while. But when Gene Wilder but, was alive, he oh, he yeah. he even said when they were doing the Johnny Depp remake that Johnny Depp was a fantastic choice, but he would still never see the movie. Like I would think that Gene Wilder is rolling over in his grave at this at this performance, because at least Gene knew it's that Johnny brings that level of bizarrity that is necessary for this character. And Tim Burton. It's this, it's this, like this, you trust Willy Wonka. Like that's like a character flaw in and of itself in Wonka. You trust Willy Wonka in this movie. You should never be able to trust Willy Wonka. That's why Gene Wilder opens the original film by limping out there with the cane, then doing a somersault. Because from that moment on, nothing he does can be trusted. And that... And but now you just have this again. It's it just felt like a cash grab. They picked the hot it boy, they put him in a top hat, and they're like, candy, colors, brightness, songs. Go watch it, kids and girls. And and we don't give a shit. And they they did it on the Wonka name, which is just a damn shame. This this is what bothers me. Uh is that this film, well, for starters, if, if people enjoyed this, where were you this weekend? 38 mil, 40 mil. That's nothing. That's that's actually a cause for concerning. Yeah, not telling uh, in, your friends. In your, I guess. in your big, in your big uh, holiday set piece like this movie should have made double that, if you ask me. Especially, you know, the IP that is of Wonka. I mean, the yep. candy is still selling, folks. Like we're not we're not denying that. But I mean, you get you're you're getting a kid, a, ch- a children's filmmaker. You know, no no disrespect to Paul Kane, but like it bothers me when like people can watch watch this and praise Paul Keane. But when I want to praise David Fincher, I'm considered I'm considered in the wrong place. Paul Thomas Anderson's I'm considered to be in the wrong place. Like, like, if, like it's and it's weird because you know uh, the I'll be honest, Paddington 2 is great, but the whole fucking better than Citizen Kane cinematic masterpiece. It's gonna be the best film in the I feel like that's a a meme, right? Like there's like it's not that's not real. <laughs> like it's 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 kind of like one night the uh what's that? Blaine's going to kill uh, me after this episode. <laughs> well, we were with him and we told him this wasn't good. I mean, I just it, people I understand have a cinematic blind spot and a like I mean, a I like next next goal wins more than your average person. But I just I brought up the David Fincher because you and I had a funny conversation where um, if we star swapped the killer Michael Fassbender to play Wonka and and, yeah. and give Timothy Chalamet a dark gritty character set piece that is him in the world of assassins like I think most, I can see Michael Fassbender as- playing a sweet fun loving candy maker that also is like really shady and like you can't trust him. Well, 
because there's in, something behind he, his eyes. He did it in Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Yeah, sure. I, Absolutely. I just, I don't know. Like, I, even my mom was like, Dude, it was like. I'm just and she, sick her of her favorite movie people... of all time is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Wait, or Willie. Her favorite movie of well, all time is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? With Tim well, Burton? No, the. Willie no, Wonka. Willie Wonka. Yeah, okay. I was about to say, Angel, come on. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I mean, dude, to all the TikTok people that I've seen and being like, this dude needs to go on Broadway. Wow, he's an amazing singer. What the fuck are you listening to, dude? Holy shit. Well, then right. what was also weird was the fucking villains. Oh, yeah. I do. I, I'll say the one French. thing. I do like that they pull the names of these villains from the original movie. Like, it's Prognose and and Slugworth and whatever the one that looked like Hitler was. <laughs> I can't even remember. No, that was just Hitler. That was just yeah. Hitler. And, but yeah. No. No from us. Wonka is not it, dude. Very much not it. One of the most disappointing movies. Actually, not disappointing because I never thought it was going to be good. As soon as they announced that it was Timothy Chalabin. I mean, dude, there was a... In, I think it was like in 2016 or something that they they announced that they were making this movie only a week after Gene Wilder's death. They knew that he was going to give it such they like if they announced during his lifetime that they were making this remake, he would have given it such a poor seal of approval that it would probably stop a lot of people from seeing it. So what Warner Brothers did was waited for the motherfucker to die. And it was like, now we're making a uh hot little boy version of Wonka for all the little girls or whatever. And that's just, it's gross. Fuck Warner Brothers. Fuck this cash grab. Fuck this movie. All right. Last one, folks, before we get into our quick fire rapid draw. This one is. It is fuck, right? Wow. Dude, there have been a lot of bizarre movies as of the last couple of weeks and months for us. Uh, this one may be the top of the the mark in bizarreness, but I, but do you know what? I think my biggest complaint is I wanted it to be that much more bizarre. I I mean this we're in a stretch in in a year where original filmmaking has never been this. I I would say strong and original. True, like we're getting dude. a lot Hell of creative yeah. ideas, and studios are willing to kind of put that out there, whether it's a small screen or a big screen. We're getting all kinds of that, and. This film from like the very beginning was just always going to be that kind of story. Um, especially when you just read the tagline. Right. Um, right. I I was mesmerized. I, I thought this film was just unique in so many positive ways. Um breathtaking production design. The, just the scale and scope. I mean, maybe that could be why certain people didn't like it was because it it went from flat and scope all the time. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. I just you're you're in the hands of Emma Stone, and and if you are bored in a film that stars one of the hottest working actresses right now, and I mean that in multiple ways in one, like it's it's sensational just to kind of see her work. I mean, we just talked about Riley Cooper trying to get an Oscar; she already has one. And so, like, she's doing this stuff just by in the pureness of her heart, and she likes working with Yargos Lanthimos, which that's fucking awesome. Yeah, because... when, you, when you win an Oscar, you can either do the Brie Larson route or the Emma Stone route. And You're not wrong. You're, Emma you're Stone's wrong. definitely it's picking bad. the better projects. It's, like, it's I don't, I'm sorry. She, Brie Larson, she got her bag, but she's done pretty right. much nothing else besides Captain Marvel. Emma Stone's gotten to do, after La La Land, she's just basically doing whatever the fuck she wants. 
I mean, we, I mean, we just talked about how shitty Wonka was. Cruella was done right. You had the right person yeah. attached to every aspect of that. You film. had the right person in the role. <laughs> anyway, but this is like such a great scientific, like romance and 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 flair of sex that is something I haven't seen on screen in a long time like this. But I mean, it's it's just uh, the actors all together: Ruffalo, Defoe, um, Carmichael, uh, and, and Emma Stone. Uh, just I liked every moment of this movie. It was it was a, a neat surprise. It, it as as cold as it might give off, I felt very warm towards it. And I just I it's it's a fun adventure. Like you you're, you're you don't know what's going to happen in the next scene. Like you you really don't. You're in for a surprise every turn of the way. And and I know like earlier in the year, like when this was premiering at film festivals, people were kind of like, you know, it's going to be Barbie versus poor things and a lot of things because it's about you you have a woman that is entering into a new world that is unlike the one that she had before and it's it's the way her eyes move and and keeps you interested in that and uh the people she meets along the way like this the, I, it's powerhouse performances but i just Gargos like really had a vision and he laid it out there and and i loved every aspect of this film um easily one of my favorites of his collaborative his filmography and his collaboration with Emma Stone is just getting started. They have one that's coming out next year as well with yeah. Jesse Plemons. And I, I can't wait for that one. And he's obviously not going to be, this movie isn't going to be for everyone. And I understand that. But to like to deny like the way, the scale of what they're trying to achieve here, you got to be fucking blind. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I, I love that I watched the other three of his American yes. features yeah. beforehand. Uh, I kind of wish I didn't do it as closely to watching poor things, especially like killing of the sacred deer and rewatching the favorite, maybe giving it a little bit of time in between uh, would have let me allow, allowed me to like enjoy poor things more on its own. But dude, this director has like an insane, unique vision and, and like basically kind of just like voice that I am just truly mesmerized by. And I will watch anything that he makes going forward because, I mean, the story as a tell feels like this freaky, weird, ex erotic version of the Frankenstein retelling, essentially, with like a lot of linears to that story. But then also you're going, you have this coming of age tale of this woman who basically is speed running her uh, realization of life and existence and how the world works. And but you're also you're basically getting a full life's worth of realizations in this two hour movie of this woman in a couple of months. Uh, and I found that all to be very fascinating. I thought the comedic beats were extremely funny. I thought there were some incredibly lewd scenes that led to some very shock and awe moments that I think will definitely keep a couple people. Maybe. You mean the Is furious jumping? Yeah, all the, the furious, furious jumping. jumping. I loved the furious jumping. Um, I get. I gotta say, one of my biggest issues was I did not love Mark Ruffalo and his performance in this movie. I actually, funny enough, I saw a TikTok about how they were talking about Oscar Isaac, who was shooting a film on the same like studio set, uh, studio as they were making this movie, and Mark Ruffalo was actually kind of scared that like for weeks he kept seeing Oscar Isaac around the set and he was like, Oh, are they going to replace me with Oscar Isaac? 
and they even got Oscar to like play into the joke and they like pranked him. Oscar Isaac should have played that role. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, I really couldn't take seriously as his character. He was kind of all over the place emotionally, and he had a lot the, of the good. Char- of the, the character's good not a lot of the funniest beats. What's up? He's not supposed to be taken serious, though. I know he has a lot of these comedic he's, beats, he's but I think Oscar Isaac. I think Oscar Isaac could have played it more seriously, more believably, but also done those moments of like ridiculousness and like crying and I, Bella. Like that, that shit am, was hilarious. I am like excited that Ruffalo was wanting to do something like this because he's True. been so stuck in that Marvel universe where he now feels like typecast where he can only do something like that. Like this is what he was doing before that. And he I sure. thought he was great in it. I'm not saying he's gonna win an Oscar, but like the accolades he's receiving for this film is well earned. He is a reminder, one of our best working supporting character actors in the game right now. And you can throw any script his way, and he will bring his own creativeness to it. And I was ecstatic. Like, I thought every, like, he's not even in it as much, but he plays a crucial part. And I just, I thought it was awesome. I had a thought. Like, I, I, I had a great time. What if it was Colin Farrell? He would have been a really cool William Defoe. Or, Ooh. or. Or, yeah, you can't replace Willem Dafoe in this role, actually. Because he's, he was he's not in it that much. But you could have the, the Christopher Abbott role. Oh, like that yeah. Not, he's not in it. He wouldn't have been in it I just much. think it's funny that Yorgos Lothamos went Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell as far as his leads. Then he went Emma Stone, Emma Stone as far as his leads. But also, he went supporting cast, Rachel Weisz, Olivia Coleman, then skipped one, then Rachel Weisz, Olivia Coleman, then skipped one again. And also... In the two middle films, he used Sonny Solchek. And and so it was like, he loves work. It's one of those things where he loves working with so people he loves working I, with. I haven't seen uh, the film Dogtooth that he made. I need to, oh, I, um, I mean, I'm going to watch that now that, I mean, like, I'm already into his world. But mm-hmm. I didn't think I, I that kind of fit in I've with heard, the, like, American films. He's he's very, like, yeah, yeah. Like, he's a Greek like, guy. He's, he's not for everyone. Yeah. So I'm just I'm excited to to see every film that he kind of kind of has coming. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I this movie, you know, it didn't if quite it get the, it didn't quite get there for me. It. I was waiting for something like truly bizarre and bonkers that would like take my breath away to happen, and I guess that never did. But there was some insane stuff. I also think the ending kind of dra- the the end bit kind of dragged on for an extra fifteen minutes too long, maybe. And I think they could have tightened that up story-wise and maybe not have we, made we it did, so convoluted. We didn't even discuss, like, the score is amazing. Yeah, I love I, the I score. Thought, it's bizarre. I like the sound and, and the, the production, the <laughs> costumes. This film just is is wide range in, in creativity, and I love the uniqueness that it brought. And, I mean, it's just like a firework display of everything working at one time, and I loved it. I did. I mean, I from Emma Stone, it. like, the beginning of the movie and, like, by the... Like you can just like the evolution of her language that's that happens throughout the entire movie, that's in and of itself is something fascinating to watch. Like I love the movie. It just it never busted through that half star threshold to get so to the four and a half here, mark. Here's a really good comparison of like where my brand is. So like what your conversation was earlier, where you wanted par or you wanted my you wanted to target what my show was. In my 
the way my brain's working right now is I wanted Bo is afraid to be much like poor saints where Ooh, it's just see, wild. I, you know what? Ambitious. I think I'm flipped. I didn't even think of that. I think I wanted this kid. to be more like Bo is afraid. Wow. I, I'm looking his podcasting bros. I'm looking at like yeah. the creative films from last year and I, and I see Bo and I'm like, that's what I wanted poor things. I need to, to watch. Be. I need to watch Bo is afraid again. I have to. I want to see the, the directors on directors where you have, Ari Master and Yorgos and Lathmos. Yorgos Lathmos. That'd be well, or or like one of those round tables with those two Robert Eggers. Like, I, I, oh my God, we're, we're in good hands, folks. We are in good hands. All right, and well, I, just on that note, though, the reason another thing. Hey, I you're the say, one with the heart out, man. Keep going. Uh, it would well. We're talking about Emma Stone, all right, and we've already talked about Joaquin Phoenix in this pod, but Ari Aster's next film. It has oh, them both. Yeah. Has them Dude, both. I'm so oh. glad Emma Stone. Oh my God, everything she's doing. Keep working with these directors. She ain't easy A no mo. Are you looking at a, oh, I, I thought you froze. No, I I it I'm just I'm excited to see uh that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. It, absolutely. All right, folks. We are like I said, he we got a hard out for one of my for my co-host here. So we are going to rapid fire. These last couple of movies that I'm going to say one that I've seen, then Brent's going to do one that he's seen that I and like so on and so forth, back and forth. I think I have a few more than him, but we're just going to knock them all out as quickly as possible. Maybe give you a sentence and then just a should you or should or should you see this or should you not see this? Um, Give me one second and I will get going with my first one once I have my last. All right. Uh, first things first, Good Burger 2, Paramount Plus. I've been waiting fucking almost my entire lifetime for this movie. I love the first Good Burger movie. I absolutely love Keenan and Kel. I love that the Good Burger Mobile is at High Point Downer on McCausland. The fact that they're back and making this movie is amazing. You should absolutely see, absolutely see this. There are enough funny moments to make it worth seeing, definitely. And it's on, and it's free on Paramount Plus if you have it. Um, well, uh, I there's not many that I'm like I, I mean May December I know you'll see it but mm-hmm. to talk about what's happening right now with like Charles Meston um Melton Melton uh the Riverdale boy yeah like the print the prince is coming into the land to become a king now like he's working with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore mm. in one of the best character study films um it, it's I am one of the few that is confused by the fact that this is called a comedy um because apparently the director came out and was like you know ha- some of it is is can be taken as that and some in the other light um it's it's a very uh grueling watch but if you've seen Tom Haynes films before you know what you're getting yourself into uh but it's it's a talented film uh with the actors it just has a story that um maybe maybe was led in a different light I don't know but uh it's definitely uh, subject matter is is real to say the least and the performance that everyone's talking about is earned i just don't know how far it can go with charles melton for sure all right uh next up i got trolls band together trolls three baby like i finally powered through the trolls movies i actually enjoyed them quite a bit i think they're fun and bright and bizarre sometimes or they're fun and bright and crazy colorful and they have great music and good singers and it's fun but uh trolls band together the only thing i was disappointed about is they were advertising it as like in sync being in the movie and they just show up at the end 
they have a whole different boy band that's like Branch's brothers or whatever that are like Eric Andre and David Diggs and Kid Cudi and Troy Sivan, and they're not the NSYNC guys. That was weird. But definitely, you can definitely see it. I've been listening to some of the songs uh, because I am just a sucker for pop music. Another Netflix film that I'm surprised you haven't even watched yet, but I had obviously more anticipation for it considering the cast that is uh, involved with long. it. And I and I have all my Christmas shit I'm watching this month. So it's probably going to end up being in January or here after the 25th. Um, well, yeah, so leave the world behind. Um, Sam Asmel, uh, you might know him from the writer creator of uh, Mr. Robot. Uh, Julie, this this is quite the film. Julie Roberts, Mahershali, Ethan Hawke, um, and then like a small time performance from Kevin Bacon. Uh, but yeah, it, this is just a, fi- a film. A couple wants to get away, and at the same time, they're they're they rent this Airbnb. The homeowners of the the B and B come back because there's a, a catastrophic world event that's happening in the back, in, like in, back, and what's happening that they don't know about because they're away, and it's just like the uncovering of this mystery and the illusions that is out there, and kind of real world situations that can obviously happen, and it just it's it, it has the set pieces and the design of like reaching for the stars, but I feel like we kind of just get left in orbit and wanting some more of that. Um, it it may, definitely had me asking the right questions. Um, I just may, maybe wanted a little bit more help. Uh, definitely had probably one of the endings of the year, uh, plain and simple. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and and I I think you'll get together and watch this. Like it it just no, it's to me this is what I wanted Cabin of the Woods to be. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Or sorry, sorry, fuck Christ, too many cabins out there, guys. Knock at the cabin. I, well, I really like that one, so that's a pretty good seal of approval. Uh, next one I got, uh, I watched the Chicken Run sequel, Dawn of the Nugget. Uh, Chicken Run is like a movie I definitely had seen, not I hadn't seen for a very long time, so I rewatched that one too, but it's definitely a film I saw as a kid. Ardman and their like revolutionary claymation style have always been impressive to me. Claymation is one of the most impressive art forms that I think is out there. And I love the 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 actual medium of claymation and all that stuff. So gotta love Chicken Run. But then you got this sequel that is definitely it's okay. It's a great continuation. I love how it picks right back up from where it left off in the first one. Um, but it's definitely not nearly as good, not nearly as special, not nearly as unique. The first one was Great Escape with uh chickens. This one just feels like another chicken run movie i would say still watch it but it's definitely nothing incredibly special uh but it was still fun and they replaced a lot of the voice actors including some of the more problematic ones but they unfortunately replaced them with another problematic actor that keeps just getting himself like shit on in the media they went from mel gibson to zachary zachary levi that guy's very just keeps shooting himself in the foot, dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I guess I can slowly wrap this up. I mean, I, I, I guess I can talk about it. Um. Mark Wahlberg's Apple TV film, The Family Plan. Um. I threw this one on just the other day because I seem to just always watch Mark Wahlberg's films, whether I like them or not. But 
here you know he just he plays a a former assassin that is living the that double life where he wants a family now and then his his face gets recognized and it just brings off this um family adventure to say the least where he's on the run while he's trying to save his family and his family finds out and it's you know cliche of what it all is but i mean uh it, it it's it's just you know it has moments i would say the first two thirds are good um and then when the end comes out you're like oh well shit but it it's fun i mean this it's weird that like there's not many films being released right now in theaters and it's like stuff like this could benefit from that you know like it's it's weird when when streaming gets tacked tacked on like that yeah all right um I I think that's the last one you got, but I got three more, but they're all holiday movies. So I'm just going to like fire them all off and then we will get out of here for the day. So first off, we have Silent Night. Don't fucking see this movie. John Woo waited 20 years to make another American feature and absolutely shit the bed. The whole gimmick of not talking does not work when you're completely telling an uncompelling story with a lead that is just like not able to emote as well as you would want him to and the action is boring and like it's just one of the one of the worst movies we watched this year one of the most frustrating viewing experience i had of all time watching an action film uh and again the gimmick was admirable but stupid uh then after that I watched Candy Cane Lane on Amazon. I will watch everything and anything Eddie Murphy makes going forward because I missed him for so long and he's finally back making movies. And even though his movies have not been the funniest since he's come back, I mean, Dolomite was fantastic, but this is another great family feature. Like Eddie Murphy is genuinely good at playing the dad character, like, and with the loving family and doing the comedy and like being being silly and goofy and doing some of the slapstick. So I I like that. And I like that. It felt like this new Christmas narrative. They took their version of the 12 days of Christmas and ran with it. I really like that. So I also think this is worth watching, but the thing on Amazon that was Christmas related, that is definitely worth watching is Merry little Batman, which was a fantastic combination of like the Grinch and home alone but you're following Damian Wayne in the Wayne Manor in Gotham city, trying to evade Batman's villains. Luke Wilson does a great job playing this version of Batman. And it's a version of Batman we've never seen before, not only because of the animation style, but because it it's, he's a good dad. So I really enjoyed this one. That one's definitely worth watching. And that is going to do it for this massive recap episode of the podcast that we fan that somehow we did under like an hour and a half. I actually can't believe it. Since we had so much to talk about, we're going to forego our recommendations. You can watch any of the movies we just talked about, and those can be our recommendations. And we are just going to go ahead and say farewell for today. Bye-bye folks. See you next year.